Good morning, everybody. So good to see everyone this morning. If you were disturbed by that video, I just publicly apologize right now to you. Um, but uh, I, I, this video, that picture, I think it's a, a great picture for us today. So I asked them to play it for us. But we are in this series about minimal. And you know, that man, he had his, his area was anything but minimal, right? In, you know, for some of us, I hope... I hope all of us, that none of us go home and that's what we're facing every single day. But you know, stuff just accumulates. That's something that he actually said in that video. He says things like, it didn't used to look like this. It, didn't, it wasn't always this way. It used to be clear. You know, I, I, I plan on using that, just not right now. But I don't know about you guys, but during the um, ice storm, I was trapped in my house which is the worst place for me to be. Uh, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person that likes to go do things. Uh, a, a few months into being married to Jake, one day he said, so you have to go do something every day. And I looked at him shocked, like, you don't know me, you know. And I thought about it and I was like, yeah, I need to go do something every single day. When, during uh, the pandemic, when we were basically just supposed to stay at home, I uh, got a bike and I would just ride the bike around the neighborhood because I was like, I got to see something new. I need to see something new. I can't just be looking at the same four walls. Uh, but I, I, I like to get out. I don't want to be stuck. And in that ice storm, I was stuck. Our cars were completely frozen over. We couldn't get into them. Uh, Jake, one day, he was trying to get the cars unfrozen and he worked on it for like five or six hours that day. We, we just couldn't get our cars unstuck. So we were stuck. Even if we'd gotten them unstuck, we weren't going to try to go anywhere. It was too icy. But we just, he just thought it'd be good if they weren't stuck. Um, but we were stuck in our house. And so what I did is I began to go through the entire house and I was decluttering. I was getting rid of everything. Nothing was safe. And so pretty soon we have this hallway um, in, in our house and I just kept putting the stuff that needed to go away. Donation piles, right? I just kept putting the stuff in the hallway. You know, and it starts off with just like a little small bag. Well, we were stuck for days. So pretty soon the hallway, the entire hallway was lined on one side with these bags. And I told Jake, we got to get out of this house soon or we're not going to be able to walk in this hallway anymore. But it feels so nice to declutter. It feels so nice to have a junk drawer. I know none of you guys have junk drawers, but I did, I did tackle one of our very bad junk drawers. It feels so nice to open that junk drawer when you're done and be like, I can see everything that's in here. Incredible. And you find things in there that you're like, didn't even know we still owned this, right? And it feels so good. You know, during the, the pandemic, Goodwill, people were doing the same thing. They were stuck at home, so they were decluttering. So Goodwill actually put out a statement and they said, please stop donating trash which I found wildly amusing. Everything about that just made me laugh. Uh, I just thought it was so funny, but they said, you have to stop donating trash to us. It was record amounts of things being donated because people were stuck at home. So they were like me and they were saying, I gotta do something. This closet can't look like this anymore. This drawer can't look like this anymore. So they were donating things, but Goodwill was getting sick of the things everyone was donating. And, um, and so they were saying, you know, your stuff, if it's, if it's worn out, it's garbage now. We don't want it. So could you just throw it away instead of giving it to us to throw away? Well, in the comments on that article, I found someone who said, I hate Goodwill, and I have literally been filling up a garbage bag of trash every week for the last 13 years and donating it to them. I couldn't believe it. I was like, that's 
serious. That's a serious vendetta. So it wasn't only just your overly used items that they didn't want. They didn't want your literal garbage anymore as well. I was like, okay, maybe Goodwill does have a case about stop donating trash. We've been in this series uh, about making space in our lives so that we can be who God wants us to be and so that we can do what God wants us to do. And today we're talking about making a space in our lives so that we can make a difference. Making space in our lives so that we can make a difference. In the video that we just watched, he said quite a few things that I think are so poignant, and so those are actually gonna be our points today. The first one is number one, it just accumulates. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but I relate to that. It just accumulates. Stuff just accumulates. If you have small children, you, you, when you finally get to the end, where you're like, this, this car has to be cleaned out, or we have to donate it to Goodwill, right? And, and so you finally go and you get the car washed and you vacuum it out and you can't believe the things that have been shoved into the seats. And even when they're in their car seats and you think, well, underneath the car seat will be clean, it isn't. And you're like, how did you get under here? How did you do this? I don't understand what you're doing back here. And then, I don't know about you, but so many times we would vow, mostly Jake would vow. He would say, no, children are not allowed to have any food, any snacks in our car again. But of course, I was the one driving them around and they get to a certain age where you're like, just give them food, make them stop, just make them happy. We're in survival mode. Give them the fishy crackers, which is the, you know, the worst thing to put inside your car. One time I, I took a road trip uh, down to, to Southern Oregon and Jack, our, our, my son, he, he um, was like toddler age. So he's in a rear facing seat behind me. I'm driving and I have a friend who came with me down there. And so uh, she's with me and we gave Jack this applesauce pouch. It was the worst decision. He got none of that pouch in his mouth. I don't think, but he did get it all over himself, all over his feet, all over the seat, everywhere you could imagine. That's where the applesauce pouch was, but it just accumulates. Things just accumulate. That's what happens in our life. And there's actually three different temples in the Bible that I'm going to talk to you guys about this morning. There's three different temples. The temples in the Old Testament was where God was. So this was that God, he, he set it up with, um, with Moses and he said, set up a place for me, a place that is separate. Did you know that the word holy, that's what holy means. It means separate. It means set apart. So God was saying, I am holy. I'm set apart. Set a place for me to be, a place for me to dwell. And that's what the temple was. And so throughout hundreds and hundreds of years, the, the Israelites, the Jews, they had this temple, this place that God dwelt. And so our first temple in the Old Testament is from 2 Kings in chapters 22 and 23. There's this king. His name is King Josiah, and he actually becomes king when he's only eight years old. You guys, you, you might be worried about the age of our current leader and age of current leaders who are trying to become current leaders or more leaders that are trying to become leaders, right? And we're like, all the octogenarians are just coming out. They're coming out to rule. But imagine if, if your current leader was an eight-year-old. You know, I don't know. We can go either way on this, right? But that's what was going on is that King Josiah, he was eight years old. But later in his reign, when he's an adult, one night he can't sleep. And so he says, bring me some scrolls, right? Bring me some old scrolls. I'll read those. They're so boring. They'll put me to sleep. And so he begins to read the old scrolls. And one of the scrolls he comes across is actually... 
the laws of God, these laws that were passed down from generation to generation that for some reason in King Josiah's time had been lost. And as King Josiah reads these scrolls, he realizes, wow, we have messed up. Their temple during this time was no longer how God had said that he wanted it set up. They had brought in all sorts of foreign gods, foreign idols. They were making sacrifices to these foreign gods. And to them, that wasn't even wrong. They didn't know better because it had been so long since they had read this law of God. And so they didn't know any better. And Josiah, he's so convicted. He can't believe it. What have we done? And so he goes in and he cleans the temple. He clears out the temple. All of those things that had just accumulated, you know, like we saw in that video where he says, oh, all this stuff, I don't know where it came from. It didn't used to look like this. That's basically what the temple looked like, was that all of this stuff had come in. And so Josiah had to go in and he had to clear all of that stuff out of the temple. They didn't even know that it was wrong. The second temple is in the New Testament. This is with Jesus. And he actually goes and he visits the temple in Matthew 21. In verse 12, it says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you made it into a den of robbers, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. If you are a person who your inclination is more anger, this is one of the best stories in the Bible. Because all of us, we see this very peaceful Jesus, right, who's always calm, who always held it together in the storm. He's not panicking, right? But then we have this one tiny little piece in the Bible where he, he's, he can't believe what they're doing in the temple, and he actually throws over tables, right? When, when uh, Jake and I, we had, we'd just been married a few years, and he had a cousin who was pretty young. And um, so I, I'm saying she's pretty young. Don't hold it against her. She's a grown-up now, wonderful person, right? But she was pretty young. We were playing Monopoly with her. She got so mad at this Monopoly game, she threw the whole, the whole game board, right? And you know, then the game's over. Everybody loses. You're just standing there like, I think I was about to win, right? It was me, right? I was the winner of the game. But that's basically what Jesus did. He goes into this temple and he's just throwing tables. And so if you have like a slight anger problem, you know, you're going to give it to the Lord. We're going to work on it. But you can also have like, all right, okay, all right. You know, Jesus also threw over some tables. But what was he doing in this moment? Why was Jesus so upset? The temple was full again of things that weren't supposed to be at the temple. Excuse me. Um, in fact, he says he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. This is significant, not to us because we don't understand it. We're like, why are they selling pigeons? Do you know, we do donuts, but I guess they did pigeons. That's cool. I don't exactly understand, but you know, maybe they didn't have sugar and um, dough or something back then. So pigeons was what it was. But actually what was happening was that the, when they would come to the temple, the, the money that they offered was supposed to be a Hebrew coin. And so, you know, for convenience, they decided to start setting up, oh, well, you know, you could exchange your coins here. Like, let's say you had a Greek coin or you had a different kind of coin. Well, you could exchange it. We'll exchange it for you so you have the right kind of coin to offer, right? So that starts off as, you know, maybe that's a good thing. But over time, this money changer became a huge industry where they were actually changing money. They had these stores of money, all these different kinds of monies. And so it became this big industry. And every time, you know, you change the money, 
money, there's a small fee. I don't know if any of you guys have ever changed money in a foreign country, but there's always a small fee for doing business. And so that's what was happening. It was actually becoming this big business where they weren't just doing changing money for people coming to the temple, but they were changing money for everybody, anywhere who needed to change money for anything. And then with the pigeons, what was going on was in the, in the Old Testament, God said, you know, when you come, when you bring a sacrifice to the Lord, you would bring your firstborn lamb. But he made a caveat for people who were poor and didn't have, didn't have the means to have a firstborn lamb. He, so for the poor, he said, you could also bring a pigeon. So if you don't have the means to bring a lamb, you could go to Central Park and steal one of those. No, I don't know how they got their pigeons. But he, he would, there was a caveat for the poor that they could bring pigeons. And so the same way these people thought, oh, you know, well, if we had the pigeons here already readily available for people, but then at a higher cost. And so what Jesus is upset about is they have put all of these things in his temple. Remember what the temple was? Holy, set apart supposed to be different than the rest of the world. And so they had brought all of these things into his temple. And he's saying, this is not what the temple is supposed to be. And in fact, he, he even says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. You are, are thieving from people. You're stealing from people. You're charging them too much. You're, you're actually hurting the poor. We made this caveat for the poor, and now you're overcharging the poor. And so it angered him. Everything that is clutter made sense at one time. You know, everything that we have in our life that's clutter, all of those random things that I filled my hallway with to give away, at some point I thought we needed that. Or someone in my family thought we needed it. You know, for some reason we thought we needed to save every box that every electronic had ever come in for the entire existence of our lives. Even electronics we don't own anymore. We might need the box someday. Right? Or we, we needed to save every manual of every small appliance we've ever owned in our entire life. That electric toothbrush, I might need the manual at some point. And so we save it. But everything makes sense at some time. It made sense when we brought it in. But it doesn't make sense anymore. The third temple that I want to talk about is us. The third temple is us, that you are the temple of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, it says, all things are lawful for me. This is Paul talking. He says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. After Jesus comes and Jesus dies on the cross and Jesus rises from the grave, what happens is that that temple moves from this physical place that we go so that we can encounter God. And then now God says, no, now you are the temple. That you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That now inside of us, that every single one of us, we, if we're followers of Jesus, that we are to be temples. And do you remember what I said about temples? They're supposed to be holy. They're supposed to be set apart. They're supposed to be different. But what happens with all of us is stuff just accumulates. Not only in our physical homes, not only in our physical cars, but also in our own hearts and what happens with us. We bring things into our hearts with the best of intentions. But at what point are we cluttering the space that God intended to be open for him? To make a difference not only in our lives, we have to declutter our hearts. Number two, it's not important anymore. 
He said in that video about some of this stuff, oh, it's not important anymore. And that's the same way with our hearts. We have things that we hold on to, and they're not important anymore. You know, the definition of clutter is anything we don't use, love, or we wouldn't buy again. Anything that we don't use, love, or we wouldn't buy again. Is your heart cluttered? It's so easy to let things just live inside of our heart. Shame, condemnation, unforgiveness, worry, fear, hatred, anger, wrong mindset, sin, all of these things we can begin to say, oh, I needed that at one point. Oh, I, I, I have to hold on to that. Oh, that's something that I do love. That's something that is important to me. But pretty soon it becomes clutter in our heart. And we realize, I don't use that. I don't love that. I wouldn't buy that again. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 13, this is Paul again. He's talking to the Corinthian church. And he says, dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter the wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. This is such a powerful verse. The Corinthians were blaming Paul. You put all these rules on us. You made our life so small. What Paul's writing back is, no, you can enter into a wide and spacious life. Your, your life is not meant to be lived small. It's meant to be lived open. And that's the same thing that God says to every single one of us today. Our lives are not meant to be lived small. We're not meant to, be, to live boxed in by all of the clutter that we let accumulate inside of us. God created you to live a big, expansive, open life. The Corinthians were viewing their lives as small, but Paul is reminding them that their lives were meant to be big. Their own affections are restricting them. The more clutter I let into my life, the smaller my life gets. And so what do we do? We ask the Lord, we say, God, what am, what am I letting live in my heart? What are, what are the unforgivenesses that I have that I need to let go, that I need to forgive? God, where is the shame that's holding me back? Jesus doesn't bring shame. So we say, God, I'm gonna let it go. God, where is that hatred that I've been holding onto? What are those things that as soon as I hear, I'm so angry, I don't even know what to do. I realize that's clutter. I have to let it go. What are the areas that I've let myself be boxed in, that I've let myself live a small life? A, a couple weeks ago, um, Jake, he did something, and, you know, it just made me mad. I was just like, mm, don't like that. I am annoyed, I am offended, I am justified, I am not happy. And um, you know, I, I went to bed just not happy. I didn't tell him, you know, he should know. <laughs> you should know what you did. And so I didn't even tell him, but I was a little annoyed. And you know, I went to bed that way and you, some of you guys are like, you should never let the sun go down on your anger. And just so you know, the sun was already down <laughs> when I got angry. So I had a full 24 hours, I thought, to be mad. And so I went to bed that way. I slept that way. I woke up, and I was still mad. 
Now it's kind of resentful, you know, like, yeah, he's, he's still a terrible person. <laughs> still mad. I'm still justified. And, you know, that morning I, I woke up and just a little bit, just a little annoyed. I'm like, hmm, hmm, you know. And I began, I opened my, my Bible. I began to read my Bible uh, just like I do every morning. But I'm still, though, I'm holding on to my offense. And um, then I'm just, you know, reading some different things. And all of a sudden I come across something and it's, it's 1 Corinthians 13. And when I was a young teenager in a, in a you know, uh, Bible, or sorry, church class, we memorized the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, which is either the greatest thing you can do for yourself or the worst. Because then you just always know those passages, so they're always hanging over your head. If you don't know what that passage is, it's just all about love and how, well, it actually just kind of shows us how far short we fall of love. And so, you know, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 13 as I'm doing my Bible reading, and I begin to think, oh, love is patient. Love is kind. I'm not being kind. It doesn't keep a record of wrong. I am keeping this record of wrong. It says it's not resentful. All of these things, I'm reading it, is not easily offended. I was very easily offended and happy about it. <laughs> like happy to be easily offended. And I just closed my eyes in that moment. I didn't even read all of 1 Corinthians 13. I just already knew. <laughs> And I closed my eyes, and my eyes were full, just beginning to fill with tears. And I said, oh, Jesus, will you forgive me? Jesus, I, forgive me of being resentful. Forgive me of being offended. Forgive me of holding a record of wrong. Forgive me. And I just began to go through those things where I knew that I had violated, those things where I had decided, I'm going to grab those items. I'm going to grab those offenses, and I'm going to stick them right in my heart. I'm going to stick them right here. You know what? Because I, I need them. I'm justified. You know, you know, he did what he did, and so that's why I get to act this way. And that's what we do, isn't it? But we do this all day, every day. And some of us have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of this clutter inside that we've never said, oh, Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you help me remove that offense? Would you help me remove that anger? Would you help me remove that unforgiveness? And then, you know, the other thing I did is I said, God, I let it go. This is what I always do when I know I have an unforgiveness, when something, someone has offended me or something has happened and I know I need to forgive. I also say, and I let it go. Why? What I'm saying, I'm saying, goodbye, get out. You don't belong here. Why? Because I'm ruthless to want to have an uncluttered heart. I'm ruthless to want my heart to be a wide open space that God can work in, that God can move in, because I want a temple that God wants to dwell in. I want him to be with me. I don't want a place that's so full that there's nowhere for him to be. And so I'm ruthless about saying, God, would you unclutter my heart? The things that I don't use, I don't love, and I wouldn't buy it again. What are the things in your life, in your heart, that you don't use, you don't love, and you wouldn't buy it again? Today, God is saying, would you let it go? Would you get rid of it? Would you move on? Would you say enough is enough? Would you say, God, would you forgive me? What might God want to do through you that can't be done in a cluttered heart? When we clear out the temple, God works from it. 
you know, Josiah, King Josiah, when he cleared out the temple, when he got rid of all of that junk, there was a revival that happened. People returned back to the Lord. They returned back to the law of God. They turned their affections back on the Lord, and there was a revival in the area. When Jesus cleared out the temple, if you remember the verse that we read right after, it said the blind and the lame came to him, and they were healed. God does miraculous things when we are willing to say, God, I'm ready to clean out this temple. I'm ready to clean up the mess that I have made. Number three, it was clear. It was clear. Remember, that's, well, that's one of the things that the man said in the video, and he was talking about how it used to be. But this is a vision for every single one of us, that this is how our hearts, this is how our lives can be. They can be clear. We can be what Paul was saying to the Corinthians, that you can live in a wide open space, that you don't have to live boxed in. I'm gonna tell you guys a little bit of, of a long story. It says, when we clear out space, there is room for God to make his directions clear. When we clear out space, we can finally hear God's voice. If you say, I don't hear his voice, I don't hear God speak, I don't know what he says, today I challenge you, ask yourself, is your heart full? Is your heart so full that God can't make it through the noise and the clutter that you have put in there? When we make room in our hearts, God can begin to speak to us. I'm gonna tell you guys a little bit of a long story. It's, it's this man, it starts with this man, his name was Edward Kimball. In 1858 in the city of Boston, this great little uh, uh, picture for you guys to follow along with this long story. But his name was Edward Kimball and he was a Sunday school teacher. He, he didn't know what to do. He, he never pastored a church. He never you know, went on an evangelistic tour, but he said, God, what can I do? And he felt like God told him to be a Sunday school teacher to the boys, the young boys in the church. And so that's what he did. And he was passionate about trying to get every single one of these young boys to accept Jesus, to follow Jesus. And so there was one boy in his group who still hadn't made a commitment to the Lord. And so he thought, oh, you know, I have to figure this out. I have to talk to this boy. He needs to find Jesus. And because it was uh, 1858, that he went to the boy's work. Which I love that part of the story. The boy worked at a shoe store. Well, I better go to your job, meet you at your work, young, young lad. But he goes to the shoe store and he goes to the young boy and he begins to plead with him, would you choose Jesus? Would you come to Jesus? And the boy right there in the shoe store says, yes, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. And the boy's name was Dwight L. Moody. And maybe you've never heard of him, but D.L. Moody is an incredible evangelist. He was an incredible man, and you can still read so much of what he wrote today, and it's still impacting us today. And he became one of the greatest evangelists of his time. Why? Because Edward Kimball was willing to be a teacher in his class and was willing to think about him and pray for him and say, I want him to find Jesus. Well, Moody, he became an international speaker. He, he spoke all over the British Isles, and he preached in a little chapel where a young man, man named Frederick Meyer was. And in the sermon, he told that story about his Sunday school teacher. He told that story about Edward Kimball, and that message changed this Pastor Meyer's ministry. It inspired him to also become an evangelist like Moody. Meyer eventually preached in America now we're back in America, in Massachusetts, where a young preacher heard him say, if you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? And that remark, he led J. Wil Wilbur Chapman to respond to God's call on his life. He's, you know, he said, I'm not willing, but God, would you make me willing? 
Wilbur Chapman, he went on to become an effective evangelist. And he enlisted the help of Billy Sunday, who helped him set up his crusades. Billy Sunday learned how to preach by watching Chapman. And then Billy Sunday himself became um, an incredible evangelist, leading thousands to Jesus. And inspired by Billy Sunday's crusades, this group of young men in North Carolina, they decided they wanted to do the same thing. They wanted to host a crusade in their own city. And so they uh, invited another evangelist, Mordecai Ham, to come in and to speak. And Mordecai Ham did this, this few nights of, of sessions where he's teaching the word of God. And this man or this boy came, 16-year-old boy, who sat in the crowd night after night. And he was spellbound by the messages. And he listened to the messages night after night night. And finally, on the last night, he also came forward and gave his life to Jesus. And that 16-year-old was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, as you guys may all well know, he was someone who probably spread the gospel more than anyone ever has in all of history. They say that he led 3.2 million people to the Lord in his lifetime. Just an incredible evangelist. But all of that came from one man saying, God, how can I make a difference? Where I'm at in the 1800s in Boston, what can I do to make a difference? When our lives are full of clutter, we can't make a difference. We can't even hear what God is asking us to do because we're to too worried managing all the clutter. But if we are willing to say, God, I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready to declutter my heart. I'm ready to hear what you want me to do. I mean, Edward Kimball made a difference for generation upon generation upon generation. A difference that we can even see today in our own church, in our own Christianity, based on what uh, Billy Graham has done. Paul reminds us that our lives are not meant to be small. We were created to make a difference in the world around us. But many of us are living our lives small. We're choosing to live a small life. We let offenses, pain, and sin clutter our hearts and stop us from living the life that God has for us. There's three ways that we can respond to our, the message today. The first way is that we just, every single one of us has to ask the Lord and say, God, what's cluttering my heart today? You know, I told the story about just the, the little offense and the little unforgiveness that I had just a couple weeks ago. But you know, the reason why I can be convicted about little things is because I've taken a lot of time to let God get rid of the bigger things. And there's things I know in some of our hearts, in some of our lives where you say, yeah, you, you were kind of offended by a husband who's a really good man. You don't understand the life that I've had. You don't understand the pain that I've had. But every single one of us has to come to a point where we say, God, I surrender my pain. God, I surrender these big hurts. I surrender these things that I don't understand. I surrender the areas that I don't, I don't, I can't even explain in my life. I surrender them to you. And I say, God, would you take that pain? God, would you help me not to be in pain anymore? God, would you come and would you restore unto me a clean heart? That's what David says in the Old Testament. He says, restore unto me a clean heart, O God. And that's what we say when we say, God, would you show me, is there clutter inside of me? Is there anything inside of me this morning that you're saying I need to deal with? So right now we're just going to pray, God, I thank you, Lord, that you are here, that you are in this place. God, I thank you that you don't leave us in pain, that you're not wanting us to live lives that are full of clutter, and that you don't leave us alone, God. 
But God, I pray right now that you will speak to us. What are the things that you're asking us to get rid of today? And right now, I believe that God is speaking to so many of you guys that you're hearing in your, in your head, you're knowing in your heart, yeah, I need to let that go. I need to be done with that offense. I need to be done with that anger. I need to be done with that pain. And for the second, the second group of you is we just need to ask God, God, where do you want me to start? Where do you want me to start? I want to make a difference. I want a clean heart and I want to make a difference where I am. And maybe for you, it's going to be something where God says, hey, why don't you also go teach in a Sunday school class? We don't call them that anymore. We call them kids' classes. But why don't you, why don't you go teach in a kids' class? Or why don't you go help with the Joy students? Why don't you take on mentoring some of the teens that come to Joy Church? Why don't you go help with the young adults? Why don't you um, get and be part of a Joy group and begin to really open yourself up to other people? Why don't you take that next step and go to next track? Why don't you um, decide, I'm going to lead a joy group. I'm going to let people come into my home and open my life up to them. What is the next step that God is asking you to do? The thing that he is saying, okay, it's time for you to make a difference with your life. Where do I start, God? Where can I make a difference? And the third way, the third group of people is that maybe you've only been living for yourself. You know, your heart is cluttered because it's never been surrendered. And that's the first step for every single one of us as Christ followers, is we say, Jesus, I'm surrendering my heart to you. I'm surrendering my life to you. It's us recognizing there is a God. I'm not it. I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not the center of my world. But there's a creator who created me. And so I surrender my life, I surrender my heart, I surrender my affections, I surrender my allegiance over to him. That's the very first step for every single one of us. And so if everyone would just bow your head and close your eyes, if you're in this room and you say, I've never surrendered to Jesus, I've never given him my life, I've never really truly made him my king, I've never really truly made him my God, would you just lift up your hand for me? If you today are saying yes, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to follow after him. Just lift up your hand for me. Thank you. We're not doing that to embarrass you. It's just a way for you to say, God, I'm surrendering to you. Today marks a day that I'm going to follow after you. Anyone else in this room? Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're going we're gonna to say a prayer together. Everyone in the room is going to say it so you won't be alone saying it. And it's not, you know, the perfect words or the perfect prayer, but it's just a way for you to vocalize that you're putting your faith in Jesus. So let's repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you. Thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. God, I know that I, I don't do right, that I do wrong, and I pray that you will forgive me. God, I surrender my life to you. I give you my heart. God, I want to live for you and you alone. I put my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.